Well, good morning, those of you who are in the Sendo and those of you who are online. I'm doing something kind of weird. <laughs> I did Zazen in the Zendo. Now I'm upstairs giving the Dharma talk online. Then I'm going to go downstairs and visit with folks afterwards. And I'm only doing that because three or four of you said uh, that you, you really wanted to see my face and you didn't care if I was online. Now, if there are another three or four of you who think we don't like this, I'd like to hear from you. And I'm Tim at mnzencenter.org. And I know most of you, but I have been gone quite a bit lately because I had a bout of Lyme's disease, but I'm fully recovered. Uh, so I'm very happy to be with you here this morning. And I'm, this is going to be my fifth talk on uh, the Dada Jing, the way and its power. And I'm going to screen share and um, then talk. Uh, we're about halfway through it. I, my Sunday talks for a while are going to be continue on the Dada Jing, the way and its power. So let's see. I, first thing I want to do is screen share and then uh, I'll keep it up as I'm talking. And now I can't see too many of you, but I just want to, uh, Paul Gilsdorf, will you raise your hand if you can see, if you can see it? Good, good. Okay, so I'm going to go stanza by stanza uh, through about uh, seven stanzas. <clears throat> uh, I assume other people can see it. Um, I guess if Paul can, the rest of you can. So let's see. Oh. Okay. Um, so the first stanza, be present and welcome all things. Empty your mind of all thoughts. So, our Zen practice is about being present in our lives, being present where we are, whatever is going on in our lives, just being present, meeting it, and welcoming it because it's what is. It's what is. And this includes being present to the sucky parts, to the hidden parts, to the upsetting parts welcoming them as they come in and moving even toward them. Dogen calls this whole being Buddha nature. The hidden parts sap our vitality. <clears throat> they sap our vitality and also just here on the screen. Oh, maybe I don't. I guess not. Oh, you can see me. Um, <laughs> it's weird because I can't see you. <laughs> uh, whole being Buddha nature. Hidden parts are always coming up. They're always getting us. They come up in terms of projections. They come up and we repress them. 
may come up in terms of reactivity. So for a while, uh, a few years ago, I, I worked one-to-one -one with a woman who was a secret smoker. And she didn't even tell me she was a secret smoker till I met with her for a while because you know at Zen Center to be a smoker. <gasps> anyway, she told me, and then she talked about uh, the shame she was feeling about it. Uh, and that was the beginning of her opening up to whole being Buddha nature, to whole being Buddha nature. <clears throat> Be present and welcome all things. Empty your mind of all thoughts. Well, this sounds contradictory. If we, if we open up to all these parts, we get confused. We get confused. There's, repression serves a role. Suppression serves a role. But we need to be present to these parts that were stuck on, that are hidden, that we're embarrassed about, that we, we want to push aside. We need to be present to those so we can really just be the whole being Buddha nature that we are. <laughs> So we can just be the whole being Buddha nature that we are. <clears throat> and because these, these come in the back door, they get us, they get us, whatever the part is that we're suppressing or repressing. We radically accept them. Oh, this is what is, things as it is. And we then sponsor them. Yes, we radically accept it, but then we sponsor. So the woman I was working with who was a smoker, I said, well, we worked, we talked about it, practiced a little bit with it. And I said, well, now I wonder how I can help you sponsor your, your smoking side. And I said, you know, I, I want you to tap into in your, in your zazen practice and in your life what it is about the smoking that makes it such a big part of you. What are its features? And she came back and she said, oh, I feel calm when I smoke. It's a break from work. I get to, I get to go away from my work environment. I'm relieved. I have a little cadre of people I smoke with who are my, my sangha. <laughs> I let go. So by sponsoring that herself, after I had helped her sponsor it, she was able to just, now I don't know if she quit smoking entirely, but she didn't hide it anymore. And she was able to be more relaxed with it. And maybe she did let it go. I haven't seen her in a few years. We all need people to sponsor us in our lives. We need people to sponsor us. <clears throat> and sometimes we didn't have people in childhood and sometimes we did. My youngest, younger grandchild just turned 12 and he's had a really hard time in school, really hard time. Um, worse than his class and in lots of things. 
worse than his class, although he seemed bright. Well, finally, he got diagnosed with dysgraphia. I think I talked about that last year. Not dyslexia, but dysgraphia. Meaning dyslexia, you can't, you can't read. Dysgraphia, you can't write. You know, really difficult writing. You're really disabled by writing. So he had been in real despair, but once his mother and his teacher kind of sponsored him, radically accepted his dysgraphia, and then talked to him about it. He had no words. Now we say beyond words in Zen, but words are important. If you can put a word to something, it begins to enter your consciousness without you needing to just shove it. And, and he was able to do that. <laughs> and then he got, and he said, Grandpa, I have dysgraphia. <laughs> Rather than, oh, I'm the worst in the class. I have dysgraphia. <laughs> he did. That's what he said, exactly. <laughs> so he sponsored himself because they sponsored him. My daughter and my teacher sponsored him. We need other people to sponsor us so we can learn to sponsor ourselves. And of course, I'm borrowing this word from 12 steps. I had never heard of 12 steps in all my years in California. But when I came to Minnesota, right away, 12 steps, 12 steps, 12 steps. Amazing what you guys have done. Maybe they've done it in California now too. But, <clears throat> but sponsor, we all need sponsors. My first sponsor was my, one of my grandmothers, whom I've talked about before, and I'll mention her again briefly. And my second sponsor was my first sense teacher, Shinryu Suzuki Roshi. And my parents were, well, they, they would have liked to sponsor me, but they didn't know how. They really didn't know how. <clears throat> so that's the first stanza. Moving on to the second stanza. <clears throat> the 10,000 things arise together. In their arising is their decline. They flower and return to their root. The 10,000 things, well, that's the, what the Taoists and the Buddhists, the early Buddhists do when they wanted to refer to all life, mineral, plant, animal, human, the 10,000 things arise together. My body with its 10,000 parts, my 10,000 thoughts a day. I had more thoughts yesterday because I was preparing for this talk. Maybe I had 100,000 talks. <laughs> but then once I decided what I wanted to talk about, I didn't have many thoughts at all. <laughs> 10,000 thoughts a day. More than 10,000 invisible bugs crawling on us, nesting in us, digging, mating, flourishing, dying in our, in our little Dharma containers in our little body. <laughs> what a trip. <laughs> How wonderful. What life. What life. <clears throat> the 10,000 things arise together. When I die, 10,000 different things will reduce me to invisible energy. 
from which another 10,000 things will come and another 10,000 things and another 10,000 things in their arising is their declining because the energy of being, of whole being Buddha nature always is arising and declining one form or another, one form or another. That's the second stanza. The third stanza, which I just decided to do one. <clears throat> oh, no, I, no, I'll talk about that flower and return to the root a little bit. So it's, it's, it's winter now, in case you haven't noticed. <laughs> I came back from, <laughs> I won't say where I've been. I came back to zero degrees from 85 degrees. <laughs> it's winter. It's winter. And there's the natural rhythm of everything flowers and then it returns to its root. After summer, we turn inward. Rahatsu, the darkest time of year, darker and darker. Practice periods and all over the world at Zen centers in winter. Hokyoji has one coming up, Tasahara. Time to go within, time to go within, back to the roots so we can flower, back to the roots so we can flower. And of course we have this pandemic, so that makes it harder. But at the same time, the pandemic gives us more opportunity just to go within, just to go within, just to radically accept what's going on inside me and sponsor it with some, some attention and some care and some love. In their arising is their declining, they flower and return to their root. The root, the root in Buddhism, that's the root in Taoism, in Buddhism it's shunyata, emptiness, the root, shunyata. And of course, shunyata etymologically means pregnancy. <laughs> so it's a pregnant emptiness from which the 10,000 things arise and to which they return. From which they arise and to which they return. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? <clears throat> the third stanza, single one. Returning to the root is serenity. Returning to the root is serenity. The root in Buddhism is shunyata, emptiness, but also Buddha nature, as I said, Teragata Garbha, Teragata, Buddha, Garbha, nature. Teragata Garbha also means womb. So you're Buddha nature from which all life comes and to which it returns. It's a Buddha womb right here. You don't think it's your womb, but it is. It's your very own womb. It's your very own Buddha nature. And there's safety and security there. Deeper than the level of your thinking, but including your thinking, including your thinking, not kicking it out. 
Yesterday, a group of us were meeting with a scholar, Roger Jackson. We had to do a lot of thinking. <laughs> a lot of thinking. But our thinking, when it's embedded in something deeper, it's, it's thinking that supports ourselves and supports each other. It's just natural. It just comes out because that womb is always here. <clears throat> Banke is a famous Zen master from uh, Japan. And his expression for Buddha nature was unborn. <laughs> his expression for Tathagatagarbha womb nature was unborn. And he's, he traveled around a lot. He had many, many different followers, many, many different followers. Um, and he was a little bit of an odd Zen teacher because he said, you can do Zazen if you want. Do as much as you want. Oh, do as little as you want. You can chant as you want. Do as much as you want. Do a little as you want. But remember, not a single, I'm quoting him now, not a single one of you people at this meeting is unenlightened. Right now, you're all sitting before me as Buddha. Each of you received the Buddha mind from your mothers when you were born and nothing else. This inherited Buddha mind is beyond any doubt unborn with a marvelously bright, illuminative wisdom. In the unborn, all things are perfectly resolved. Perfectly resolved. And another term that we use in Buddhism is your oceanic nature. Your oceanic nature. The waves return to the ocean. The waves emanate from the ocean, they return to the ocean. They're separate from the ocean, and they are the ocean. They're separate from the ocean, and they are the ocean. So I was just... Uh, uh, with my French grandsons, French-American grandsons, uh, in, a, in a warm place. Actually, I will tell you, I was in Costa Rica. I've never been there before. It was, it was beautiful. I've never been there. I was just in Costa Rica with my, the French side of my family. And uh, uh, my grandsons tried surfing. They're 12 and 15, and they tried surfing. There's not too much surfing going on in Paris, so <laughs> they were really interested in trying surfing. And my younger grandson, Logan, the one with um, dysgraphia, um, I watched him catch a wave. It was just a little wave and ride it all the way in. <laughs> and he was very still on that board as he wide. <laughs> he rode it all the way in. <laughs> and he stayed out and they surfed for a while and um, afterwards I asked him um, what he liked about it and he said uh, Grandpa was wild it was really wild I loved it Grandpa and I said, well, what didn't you like about it? He said, too much waiting. <laughs> that I always having to wait with just the right size wave. 
And I thought, oh, wait till he starts doing Zen practice. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't want to make this assumption. He probably won't ever start doing Zen practice. How many times do we get our butts on the cushion and the chair and we just, we just fritter the time away, worrying and complaining and comparing and judging? Third paramita, patience is probably the most important one. I didn't say this to Logan. <laughs> He's not interested in Buddhism. <laughs> but I said, well, that is part of surfing, you know, Logan. You do have to wait. <laughs> and he just turned and talked to his brother then. <laughs> he doesn't like to hear advice from big people. <laughs> So, um, the, our word for meditation is Zen, which comes from the word Chan, which comes from the word Jhana, D-H-Y-A-N-A. -A. And etymologically, Jhana means altar or sacrifice to rivers and mountains. So, our altar is the landscape, is the big ocean, is the wildness within and without. That's the landscape of our lives. That's our Buddha nature, emanating from that, returning to that, emanating from it, returning to it, emanating, returning. So in my first or second book, I talk about surfing, and I won't bore those of you who've heard me talk about it. I've talked about it a lot, but <clears throat> when I grew up in California, my friend and I used to go surfing, but I didn't surf with a board. He did. And we would just be with each wave. First, you have to radically accept the wave, <laughs> then you have to sponsor it. <laughs> you know, I'm just using the same vernacular. But you have to radically accept it. Say, I'm going to get on this wave. And then, and then, and the waves subside. They do subside, but they do that on their own in their own fashion. And my friend Jerry had a huge surfboard. I was 5'6", and my friend Jerry was 6'4". He had a huge surfboard, but I didn't, I hadn't, didn't have one of those. I could barely pick it up. They were heavy back then. And sometimes we need to follow our breathing by surfing it. We need to repeat our breathing by counting it. We need to even use a mantra with our breathing or instead of our breathing. And sometimes we can surf without a board. That's shikantaza. <laughs> it's boardless surfing. But we need both. I mean, I didn't know how to surf with a board, so I couldn't catch the big waves like Jerry did. Both are good. Both are part of our tradition. <clears throat> returning to the root is serenity from the root the 10,000 things arise and disappear waves, mountain ranges thoughts, emotions arising and disappearing 
rising and disappearing. All your ideas, all your certainties, all your uncertainties, you're a good Buddhist, so you just think, oh, I have another uncertainty, but those arise and disappear too. <laughs> all the mental machinery that isolates us fall away. They come back, but they fall away into the big ocean that's always supporting us. But it takes a wild and fearless practice to surf the whole ocean. It takes a wild and fearless practice to surf. That's why it's good to have a sponsor so you can learn to sponsor yourself. I was very lucky as a young man to have a sponsor. He didn't even know the word sponsor. <laughs> he, he wouldn't have known what I was talking about. And then as a little older man to have a second sponsor. And Kadigiri Roshi, the founder of this sensor. I was very lucky. We need a sponsor so we can learn to sponsor ourselves, our deep self, below all this chattering. To return to the root is serenity. The wonderful stillness that's here when we just sponsor our shadow completely, whether the surf's up or whether it's not up. We're rooted in things as it is. Now I'm moving on to the next stanza, and I think I move my screen to do this. Not stumbling in confusion and sorrow. When you realize who you are, you accept what is. Patient, amusing, and embracing, dignified as a king. Not, doesn't say not having confusion or sorrow. We all have them. Not stumbling in them. Because we're able to just be with what is. As Dogen said, a Zen master's life is one mistake after another. Sponsoring the rhythm of getting up and falling down and getting up and falling down. My Dharma container is getting pretty old. I've got neuropathy now on the bottom of my feet. I don't know if you guys know what that means, but it means I have a lot of numbness in the arms of my feet. And it's not, I've tried all kinds of things, but it ain't getting any better. So I just need to radically accept that and sponsor the rhythm of getting up and falling down. So when I was many years ago when the Katagiri Roshi and his family first moved into this building, um, uh, I went up into their apartment and to visit with them which is on the second floor, and uh, their two sons were there, and um, Ejo and <clears throat> Yoshihiko. And uh, I saw Ejo uh, with, a, with a great big doll, and I've talked about this before, the great big doll, and I said to Ejo, I don't think his English, oh, English was his first language, I guess his, he hadn't learned much yet. He said, I said, what that? He said, Bodhidharma. And then I saw that it was the Bodhidharma doll. It was a doll of Bodhidharma. And it was one of those Bodhidharma dolls 
that has a, like a lead weight in the bottom. And it was like about a foot tall with a lead weight in the bottom. And Ajo kept knocking it over. And then it would come back. <laughs> and he'd knock it over again. <laughs> and then it would come back. <laughs> then he'd knock it over again. And it would come back. Mm. The rhythm of getting up and falling down. Getting up and falling down. <laughs> getting up and falling down. <laughs> Not stumbling in confusion and sorrow doesn't mean you don't have them. When you realize who you are, you accept what is. Who I am at this advanced age is a man with numbness in his feet. <laughs> no, I can still feel the bottom of my feet right now, but I have a more numbness than feeling. That's what I am. <laughs> so, uh, the point. We went to stay in two places in Costa Rica. And the fact the second place had a few steps going up to the office. And these touristas show up. And um, I'm the first one to go up the steps. I don't know why. And I and there are only about four steps. And I stumble and fall. Poof. Stumble and fall. And I'm patient because I'm pretty patient because this isn't new to me. Mm, but I'm also a little embarrassed because everybody's looking at me. Everybody's looking at this old gringo <laughs> who can't even make it up the stairs. This old gringo can't even make it up four stairs. <laughs> they aren't saying anything. They're very polite. Costa Ricans are so friendly, so polite. <laughs> what do I do? What do I do about this? Old, well, just be polite. <laughs> just be polite. <clears throat> I wasn't amused at first. <laughs> I was patient. I, and then I embraced it. And I breathed into it. And then I even embraced my embarrassment. And then I was amused. <laughs> then I laughed. And then they thought, God, this old gringo is really crazy. Now he's laughing. <laughs> Ooh, loco. <laughs> loco. <laughs> I cut myself a little bit. My daughter rushed up. Everybody should have a daughter or a surrogate daughter rushed up. Dad, dad. <laughs> <clears throat> Patient, amused, embracing, kind-hearted as a grandmother, kind-hearted as a grandmother. If you were lucky, you had a grandparent who was there for you. You may not have been. I had one, one out of four, my one grandmother, and she was very patient with me. I was pretty bratty with my sister, not with my grandmother, but with my sister, when my grandmother wasn't around. <laughs> she was patient. She embraced me as I was. She was amused, although she <laughs> got annoyed sometimes too about how she just turned her back and I'd go after my sister. <laughs> she was my first sponsor. I was lucky to have her as a sponsor. And she was not a huge part of my life, but I didn't have any other 
big people as sponsors to I met Suzuki Roshi. They were too mixed up. We have a lot of big people in our lives who are too mixed up to sponsor us. Mm, sad, isn't it? But I was lucky when I was not quite 21, I met Shinryu Suzuki. <clears throat> Patient, amusing, amused, embracing, kind-hearted as a grandmother, dignified as a king. Well, I had one grandfather who was dignified. He didn't do meditation, but he sat ramrod straight. By the time I knew him and he was retired, he was a retired engineer and he wore a tie every morning. <laughs> I think till he died. I don't know what being an engineer in those days, I don't know what, you remember men used to dress more formally, especially professional men. I never saw him without that tie and that white shirt. <laughs> so he was dignified as a king. He didn't exactly sponsor me, but he, his dignity did impress me. The way he sat straight uh, and seemed kind of imperturbable and my sisters would get in his lap and, and he would tickle them. But when I got in his lap, he didn't do anything. <laughs> Boys, you know, he just sat straight. <laughs> but he was dignified. And when I saw uh, other Zen teachers many years later, I just felt that same sort of stillness and just sitting straight. You may say sitting straight is no big deal, but sitting straight helps you just be present with what is. And years ago, my teacher in San Francisco, uh, Suzuki Roshi, brought the bishop, <laughs> Bishop Sumi, to come visit. The Soto Zen bishop. And, and Bishop Sumi, Suzuki Roshi was 4'11", and Bishop Sumi was about 6'5", and he carried himself with great dignity and aplomb. <clears throat> and he sat full lotus with us, and um, kind of like my grandfather was kind of stern, but there was a stillness about him in that sternness. It wasn't a sternness like I'm trying to isolate myself from you. It's a, just a stillness that, that didn't need to be expressively Italian. <laughs> didn't need to be expressively Indian. My daughter-in-law is Indian from India. And the Indians, she says, are the Italians of, the, of Asia. Whereas the Japanese are not the Italians of Asia, no way. The Indians are. Interesting, isn't it? Interesting. We sense Bishop Sumi's rootedness. We wanted to hang around with him, even though he didn't say much. I realized later he didn't have, he didn't have good English, so that's why he wasn't saying much. <laughs> I remember Suzuki waiting for him to show up. When is Bishop, Bishop Shumi, Sumi coming? And I thought, bishops? Give me a break. I didn't sign up for Zen to do bishops. But, you know, that's part of the whole deal, part of the package. And all it, all it meant is someone in the hierarchy who they respect. They respect them for the dignity 
the patience and amusement of his oceanic awareness, his oceanic stillness, his rootedness in just this, just this. So now the fifth uh, stanza. <clears throat> Following the Adal, you accept whatever life being, brings, and when death comes, you are ready. Not much to say about this, except we have to we accept what life brings. Right now, it's bringing us more pandemic. Yeah. Right now, it's bringing us tribalism to the degree that I've never experienced it in my country, so that democracy's very future is in Jeopardy? Oh my, how are we divided from each other like this? How can we come together again and return to the root? Not be caught by the single waves on the ocean, but appreciate the ocean that we're, we're all part of. Following me down. You accept whatever life brings, and then you're able to sponsor it. If you're going to accept it, you sponsor it. Once my grandson got used to his dysgraphia, then he said, oh, I, can, I, want, I, want, to, I want to work with this. I want to get permission from my teacher to use a computer. So he's the only kid in his class who gets to use a computer. He's special. But he's not trying to get better than them. He's just trying to be one of them, try to be joined by them. And when we feel worse than others, we don't feel like we're part of them. We feel like we're too bad to be part of them. Now he's got his computer. He's got dysgraphia. He doesn't make a big deal out of it. But he sponsored it because his mother and his teacher sponsored him. Following the Tao, you accept whatever life brings. And when death comes, you are ready. When death comes, you are ready. The falling away of your small self, moment after moment. You can die to all of this crud. You can die to it, moment after moment. Engage in just being present. Shakespeare, I've quoted this many times, says, coward dies a hundred times before his death. A hero dies but once. But I say a hero dies a hundred times before his death. A coward dies but once. You understand? Once you learn how to die to all this crud, you carry yourself lightly, and then when it's time for you to die, literally leave your body, it's not so much such a big deal. <laughs> but I better be careful about what I say. <laughs> I better be careful about what I say, because <laughs> you don't know. Maybe I'll have some awful pain, and we'll just cry out to the, the ocean to save me, <laughs> forgetting that I am the ocean already. The sixth stanza. 
Team leaders do not stick out. Followers say we did it all by ourselves. Two leaders do not stick out. My two teachers, my two Japanese teachers did not stick out. If you knew, well, most of you didn't know them, a few of them did. They didn't stick out. They didn't stick out. And, you know, we created this whole Zen center here, but he created it. It was his spirit. And we did it, but we needed him. We needed his patience, his amusement, and his dignity. He sponsored us so we could learn to sponsor ourselves. Isn't that wonderful? That's how the Dharma gets passed on. That's how it gets passed on. <clears throat> True leaders do not stick out. When my first teacher, we had a, a barbecue and invited my first teacher in Burlingame, California, and the whole sangha was there, and it was a, a hamburgers and hot dogs barbecue. <laughs> and they, you've heard me say this before, those of you who, they prepared a special plate for him <laughs> with some gamacho and some soy, something or other, and some bright wise and some pickles and they're just really beautiful. And I gave it to him and he said, I want a hamburger. <laughs> I want a hamburger. <laughs> he only ate one or two bites of it. But then he saw somebody eating a hot dog and he says, what's one of those? And I said, they're hot dogs. I want a hot dog. He said, I want a hot dog. <laughs> two liters did not stick out. And followers think we did it all by ourselves. <laughs> Unfortunately, in the political realm, so many people who go into politics want to become someone. Ambitious, ambition is good. We need ambition. But trying to become someone and have people like you because you're someone, oh, we forget our Buddha nature. We forget our still nature. We forget that we have the ability to return to the womb, to our nobody nature, which includes all buddy, <laughs> all buddies. <laughs> True leaders do not stick out. Followers say, we did it all by ourselves. The last stanza. <clears throat> last stanza for this morning. When the Tao is forgotten, goodness and piety appear. When our <clears throat> innate wisdom is covered up, cleverness and knowledge come forth. So you know, when we get involved in religion, whether it be Buddhism or Christianity, we want to be good. Of course we do. We want to be pious. Of course we do. We take the precepts. We practice the paramitas. We study them. But if we get too caught by our goodness and our piety, we kick out the rest of ourselves. And we're just putting on a show for ourselves <laughs> or for our, someone else. Whole being Buddha nature means we don't kick anything out. And that's where generosity comes. 
It's the ocean that's generous. The waves don't individually know how to be generous, but the ocean knows how. The ocean knows how. When the ocean is forgotten, goodness and piety appears. Oh, you've got to be good. She's not as good as me. But our, that's when our innate wisdom is covered up. So instead of fake goodness or piety, just radically accepting what is. So we can live from the unborn womb, our own womb, the big ocean, the huge ocean. Then our innate wisdom is no longer covered. We say in the Sandokai, in darkness there was light. But that only happens through radically accepting and then sponsoring our hidden parts, the parts we're embarrassed about, the parts we don't show to others. And also even sponsoring other people's negativity. It doesn't mean this is not indulging. Sponsoring and indulging have nothing to do with each other. Nothing to do with each other. So here's Lin Chi, the founder of Rinzai, founder of Rinzai. You're putting a head on top of the one you already have. What do you yourselves lack? Followers of the way, followers of the Tao. Your own present activities do not differ from those of the ancestor Buddhas. Just don't believe this. You just don't believe this and keep on seeking outside. Make no mistake. So we know lots of people, or maybe you guys don't. I've known lots of people, many pro professorial scholar type people who cover up their inadequacy with how much they know. Men do this more than women. I'm really generalizing. But men do this more than women. You know, or, or there's some woman, there's, my wife has some, name for men who always explain things when she wants to <laughs> let's see what is what does she call it what you a oh, mansplain you guys probably know that word mansplain so oh another guy mansplaining i'm not going to hang out with him and then she looks at me like you got you better be on your good behavior i want to hang out with you either. <laughs> <laughs> And we have that phrase, those who don't, do not know, teach. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> well, but we study a lot in Zen. We have classes, we have sutras. Yesterday, we got really into some big Prajnaparamita discussion <clears throat> with, our, with a wonderful teacher, Roger Jackson. <clears throat> But we do this because, as Katagiri Roshi said to me, and I'm paraphrasing him, he used to study all the time. <laughs> I would come up and if it, he would be, actually, he's in the office. He was in the office, this office that I'm in right now, where's his study. And he spent a lot of time in here studying, our study. And I said, boy, you study a lot. And I said, isn't that too much? And he kind of, he kind of felt his forehead. He said, yeah, sometimes I get headache. <laughs> and I said, well, why do you do it? He said, to help 
you, to help you Americans know Buddha nature, to live from Buddha nature. I need to use words to help you because you get all mixed up. <laughs> well, that's right. We get all mixed up. All those sutras, that's where they are. We have all those sutras to help us, to help us because we get all mixed up. So that's really what I want to say this morning.